0: about the church as a family okay now we are still in our exile and aliens uh... sermon series we just flip-flop next week and this week okay so it's not answering for our hope we'll talk about that next week today is uh... about the church as a family so go ahead and turn your bibles to first peter chapter four and let's go before the lord in prayer god i i'm so grateful for the opportunity I have to to preach your word and Lord I pray that you'll give me your words to speak that they'll go out with your power God I pray that you'll give us an encouragement and, and challenge God to really live out our life here as we're passing through uh, the life of an exile the life of an alien the life of an ambassador and a witness God will you will you make me more and more like that will you make us more and more like that Lord God I pray that you'll give us eyes to see ears to hear and hearts to understand what you would have for us and Lord, we, we want to be your people. And, and Lord, I pray that you will help us as a church to grow deeper and deeper as a family. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as Soraya was talking about, we are still in the middle of this Exiles and Aliens sermon series where we are living out our hope in a world that is not our own. You see, uh, this book, again, it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, uh, more than likely near the end of his life. Okay? He's had a long ministry. He, he walked with Jesus for those three years. He had some really high highs, right? When it was, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. I'm like, yeah, Peter, you're right. And this isn't just something from you, it's something that God revealed to you. And some really low lows where he, he actually takes Jesus aside, the Son of God, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, and he rebukes him. That's never going to happen, Jesus. You can't say that. And Jesus turns and looks at him and says, Get behind me, Satan. Because you're not thinking about what God's will is. You're thinking about what man's will is. So Peter had really high highs. Sometimes he was bold and brash, and he said the right things, and he also had some really low lows, right? Like, I don't even know that man. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I even know who he is. And the rooster crows. And in the book of Luke... Jesus looks up and his eyes catch Peter's and Peter walks out weeping. And later on, we know the story where Jesus kind of reinstates him, so to speak, tells him, like, Peter, I had prayed for you. Like, that's what he said. Satan wants to sift you like wheat and I'm praying for you that your faith will stay strong. And so he reinstates Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you you know I love you. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And Feed my lambs. Take care of my people. And Peter was that shepherd in the early church. And so he is writing near the end of his ministry to churches that are scattered about uh, throughout modern-day Turkey to remind them that just what Soraya talked about, this world is not not feel comfy and cozy like we belong and and everything's good there should be some dissonance right because we are exiles living in this world we are aliens and strangers because there is a kingdom that is coming there is a destination that we are going towards Now, the writer of Hebrews talked about this as well in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, it's that great chapter of faith, and he's going through all these people, and he says they realized that they were strangers in this world. They weren't living for just the here and now. There was a nation, a kingdom that they were going towards. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today because the whole book is about we have this new identity in Christ, We have this living hope. It's not some dry, dusty thing. It's this bubbling brook of hope that comes because Jesus really did rise from the dead. And he really did rise from the dead. And we have this real confident hope, not like, oh, I hope I get for Christmas or I hope I get this, I'm wishful thinking. A confident expectation that there is an inheritance where, waiting for us, anybody remember? In heaven. Kept for us, reserved for us, protected for us while we are protected in this life in order to receive that. And again, that doesn't mean that there's not tragedies or calamities or really hard things, bad things that happen to Christians here on this world. But what it means is that no matter what happens to us here, that inheritance is reserved for us. Imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. And we are protected. So no matter what happens here, even the very worst thing that could happen to a Christian, they die. And it's not really the worst thing. Because that's how God brings them to that inheritance. And that's what he founds this book on. And he says, look, we have a new identity. We're, we're these living stones built together. We're, we've been called out of darkness into light. Why are we built together to proclaim the excellencies of him who's rec- rescued us out of darkness and into life? This is what it means to be an exile and an alien. And in today, uh, we're focusing in chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Let's go ahead and read through it, and then we'll kind of break it down uh, just a little bit. Peter says, "...the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others." faithfully administering God's grace <clears throat> faithfully administering God's grace in his various forms if anyone speaks he should do it as one speaking the words of God if anyone serves he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him be the glory and the power forever and ever amen so let's go ahead and let's unpack this just a little bit okay he starts out with this the end of all things is near it's at hand. It's approaching. Now, Peter was writing this uh, almost 2,000 years ago. But here is the reality of Christianity, what we see in Scripture, okay? And you all probably know this, most of you. The return of Christ is imminent. Now, what does that mean? It means it's just around the corner. Now, the return of Christ has been just around the corner for the last 2,000 years, right? Right? They're waiting. We've been living in the end times from the time where Jesus ascended to heaven. He says, I'm going to return someday. The end is coming. Now, as we've looked over the last 2,000 years, more things have happened that show that it's closer than what it once was. But the end is coming. And Peter would say elsewhere, some people, they just think, oh, that everything has happened just how it always has. There's not an end that's coming. And he says, whoa, 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 wait, time out. The patience of God why God is waiting until that time that he set up is, is there so that more people would become Christians, more people would be ready. But the patience of God waiting for Judgment Day is not designed for us to just be like, oh, whatever. But it's for us to be about entering the mission field, right? So he says, look, the end of all things is near. It'd be like if if I had this big rope, okay? We opened up that window over there, and we opened up that window over there, and then also because there's actually a gym right there. It's not outside, okay? We have to open the door at the bottom of the gym, okay? And we have this long rope, and this represents eternity, okay? And you throw it out that window, and it just keeps going on forever, okay? This is like the beginning of time, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's right here. That's this wall, okay? That wall is Christ Returns. From that window to that window is all of human history. And we know how much of that? A dash on a tombstone, right? For all of us. And the rope of eternity goes all the way out that way. God is eternal, no beginning, all the way that way, no end. His kingdom is coming one day. And we, right now, in the, in the dash of a tombstone life that we have, we are here in this room, right? And we may be here in history, we may be here in history. We may be all the way over here in history. The end of all things is near. There is a time where the world as we know it is no more. Christ is going to return. He's going to take us to be with him. The world will be, will be judged, right? And there is a new kingdom. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And in Revelation 21, one of my favorite passages, like God's coming down. And it says that the dwelling of God will be with humanity and he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And it uses the same Greek word that it, um, and it says that, the, flesh, that the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is a word they use in the Old Testament for the tabernacle. God pitched his tent here in Jesus Christ. Tabernacled among us. Dwelt among us. 33 years, right? Jesus forever existed is born, breaks into time and space for 33 years, right? He's he's crucified, he dies, he rises from the dead, and he ascends to heaven. One day, the tabernacle of God will be with mankind forever. That's what Peter is talking about. In the midst of this whole letter, he's saying this is the context for all that you live because the end is coming this is why your whole conversation your whole manner of life right make sure you're living that in an excellent way in front of the world why because the end is near this is kind of almost the book end here's a new identity that comes from jesus this is why we are supposed to live this way and here's why there's an end game that's coming the end of all things is near therefore let's go ahead and look at the rest of this passage Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So he says, look, the end of all things is near. So because of that, I want you to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, what do those words mean? Okay, that first uh, phrase there about being clear-minded, the words there literally mean to have a a safe or a sound mind. Uh, You could look at it another way. It means to have a redeemed mind. So, So what does that mean? He says, I want you to be clear-minded. I want you to have an accurate view of who God is. Okay? God is big, right? God is powerful. God has no beginning. God has no end. He's the creator. He's the king of the universe. And guess what? Newsflash. You're not the king of the universe. Okay? I'm not the king of the universe. Sometimes we live that way, right? Right? Like, it's very easy for us just to be self-centered, self-minded and selfish, because guess what? I'm the only one inside my brain. I know what I need. I know what I want. And so I, 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 oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to go do this. I'm tired. I'm, gonna, I, it's, I'm not wired just to think about other people in front of myself, right? Amen, Is there anybody else? Or is that just me? Maybe it's just me? I don't know. So we have an accurate view of God, who He is in His holiness and His justice? You know, sometimes preachers talk only about God's love and grace, and some of them seem to only talk about God's justice and judgment. There's not this dichotomy with God, like He is all one. God's justice and love and grace are all together. That's what Moses found out when when he said, I want to see you, you can't see me but you can see behind me as I pass by. So God puts Moses up and hides him in the cleft of the rock and the presence of God goes by. And and some Bibles say like God, he saw like the back of God, but it's really, it's like he saw like what was after God. Like God went by and he just experienced the after effects of it. And God said, he said, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate and forgiving, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin, Wickedness and rebellion. Okay, That's, he was saying, "Who I am? I forgive sin, wickedness, and rebellion, and I punish sin. God's justice, judgment, love, and grace. There's not a contradiction. It's not like two different gods. It's not like a split personality. It's all together. And so we want to have an accurate view of God and His justice, His holiness, and yes, His love and His grace. And an accurate view of ourselves. That's what it means to have a sound mind. We realize God is God. I am not." And I don't meet his standard. I need a savior. And then we also have an accurate view of what God has done. That God's justice was fully met in Jesus dying in your place and in my place. And eternal life and blessing and grace is held out. So that the justice and holiness and judgment of God is fulfilled. And the love and grace and forgiveness of God can be held out. And there's not a contradiction because Jesus took the punishment. And when we receive that, that's how we have a clear, sound, redeemed mind. We know who God is. We know who we are. We know what He's done for us, and we know how that changes our identity. That's the foundation for living out our Christian walk. That's why it's so important to be in the Word of God, because you know what? Sometimes we forget what it means to be a Christian. We forget what it means uh, for for the power that we have within us. We traveled uh, to the the west side of the state this week uh, for a wedding, and we were listening uh, to the Wizard of Oz in the car. Okay? Now, I, I've watched the movie. I've never read the book. It was really cool to read the book. The book is much different from the movie. And I'm like, this, they should make a movie that does this whole thing in the book, okay? And here's the really interesting thing, okay? Now, if you, if you don't know how The Wizard of Oz ends, plug your ears for the next little bit, okay? But it's been around for a while, so sorry. Dorothy wants to get home, right? And the whole journey, and the book's even longer. They have to go through many more things. She wants to get home. Well, you know what the answer is? i got to stand up here so you can see better. In the movie, she has ruby slippers on. In the book, they're silver. All she has to do to get home is click her heels together three times. okay? And in the movie, say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. right? In the book, it just says, I want to go home to Auntie M," And the shoes take her there. She didn't realize the power she had the whole time. And when we're not in God's word, we forget sometimes the power we have within us. So the end of all things is near. And because of that, Peter says, you've got to have the gospel in you. You've got to have a redeemed mind. Who God is, who you are, that you need a savior, who the savior is and what that means for you. You've got to receive the gospel. The next part of it is to be self-controlled. That word literally means to be sober, to be unintoxicated. To not let the things of the world that intoxicate you away from being a missionary, from being an ambassador, from living the life, from having having your behavior of life, your manner of life excellent before the Gentiles, to leave those behind. And for us, each of us have different things that can intoxicate us, right? Based on our personalities, on our history, and on the sins that want to pull us this way. And so Peter says, look, you've been redeemed. You know who God is. You know who you are. You know who the Savior is. You've received that. Now out of that, say no to the things that intoxicate you. Set up the guardrails in your life that you need so that you're not pulled this way because guess what? The end is near and you are called to live this dash of a life for Him. So be intentional about it. Don't live life intoxicated and pulled this way and that way. Stay on the straight and narrow path. It'd be like when Jesus was talking about the seed that was scattered in different places, right? There was some that was good soil and it sprang up, but there was some that that they were intoxicated by all the rocks that were there in their life. Or by the pleasures and the cares of this world, they were intoxicated by that. And so they didn't grow and bear fruit. He says, don't do that. The end is near, so have a redeemed, sound mind and be unintoxicated. Why? So you can pray. Sometimes... uh, we can almost joke about, like, church answers. Like, anybody ever been there in, like, a youth group or something? Like, like God, Jesus, Bible, squirrel. Does anybody know that inside joke, too? Okay. So what it is, is there's a a young man, student, you know, maybe five, six years old, and the teacher in Sunday school shows him a picture. Who is this? And he goes, well, it's got a bushy tail. It's got its cheeks full of nuts. Really looks like a squirrel. But we're in Sunday school, so I'm going to say Jesus. Right? Okay. God, Jesus, Bible, squirrel. Okay, Sometimes it's like, that's just a God, Jesus, a Bible answer. Well, you know what? Reading the scriptures and praying, yes, maybe they're God, Jesus, Bible answers. But that's like our meat and potatoes of Christianity, right? That's how we stay in that sound, clear mind. That's how we remind ourselves to not live intoxicated lives. So how do we get this sound clear mind if we look in the book of first timothy chapter one um we see this god has not given us a spirit of timidity or cowardness or fear but he's given us a spirit of power love and and self-discipline or in the new king james it says literally says sound mind it's not the exact same greek word but it's like the word that the word that we talked about comes from okay They're, they're the same derivative the sound redeemed mind comes from god Not from you conjuring up to get it, but from you realizing in scripture who God is, who you are, what Christ has done for you, and what it means that you've received him as your Lord and Savior. And that's God given. That's how we have that sound, redeemed mind. And how do we live unintoxicated? It's grace, right? Grace that saves us is a grace that teaches us to say no to the things of the world and to live upright, godly, uh, and righteous lives for God. And the ways that we grow in that are through God's words, focusing on His promises, looking at God's character, because you know, we can trust God. In his next letter, Peter starts out with this. He says, "God's divine power." This is second Peter, chapter one, three through four. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness." Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So he says, look, as a Christian, here's how you have the redeemed mind. It comes from God, who's given you what you need, by your experiential knowledge of him. As you know him more here, 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 and as it is lived out, that's how you have that sound mind. Through these, through his glory and goodness, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. He says, look, the promises God has for you in his word, that's how you live an unintoxicated life. That's the foundation for that. Are you going to be perfect at that? What do you think? No, you won't. What does Satan want to do when you're not perfect at it? Throw you down and tell you you're trash so you just stay there and never get back up. What does God want to do? Lead you back to Him. Remind you that He's forgiven you. Say, encourage you to receive His grace. Get back up and course correct. Get back on the path. That's what God wants you to do. That's what we see in His Word. That's what we see in His promises. The end of all things is near. Therefore, we want to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can Pray. If we're going to be faithful servants, we need God's wisdom. We don't need the latest thing in the latest church leadership book or family life book or whatever. Like There can be great ideas in that, but we need to say, God, how do we take these things we're learning from your word and from the wisdom of those that that have studied this and how do we walk in it? God, we need your wisdom. God, we need you to work. We need you to move. The end of all things is near. Therefore, let's allow God to give us that redeemed mind. Let's say no to the things of the world and let's be people of prayer. Bold, audacious, faithful, asking prayer. And then from there he says this. So the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so you can pray. And then he says, above all. And we should pause right there, okay? There is a lot of good things in this letter, right? Okay, we've been talking about this for two months, okay? And we still have a couple weeks left to go. And he says, above all, because you know that the end is near, love each other deeply, love each other fervently. Uh, We've talked about this before. But that idea of loving each other deeply or fervently, is is, this is a picture. It's stretched out, like stretched as far as you can. We've talked about it like you're at the grocery store and you've ever been there and like the top shelf is like just out of reach. Okay? And so you're like stretching and then you're like stand on the first little shelf <laughs> and hope it doesn't break. And you, you stretch, you stretch, you stretch, you stretch and you grab it. And you got it. Cocoa puffs. Good, I needed that. <laughs> I don't know, whatever it is. That's straining to grab whatever that is. That's how our love is supposed to be for one another. It's a high calling, right? Jesus said this to his disciples, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What did Jesus say was the first and greatest commandment? Anybody know? I bet somebody knows it here. Love God God with everything that you are. He's quoting the Old Testament, okay? You see, the Pharisees, they wanted to get Jesus to say something dumb so they could attack him for it. And every time they tried, they walked away going, Oh, that was stupid. I can't believe he did that again. Okay? So he said, Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? They want to get in a debate with him. And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And you're like, Yeah, that's a good answer. If you love God with everything, you're probably going to do the rest of the good things, right? And then Jesus said this, and here's the second one. Bonus. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting the Old Testament, okay? Loving God with everything, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what he said just to anybody who was listening. To his disciples, he said, A new commandment I give to you. He wasn't quoting the Old Testament. Love each other as I have loved you. He said that on the night he was betrayed, then he went to trial. Was crucified on the cross. You love one another. The family of Christ is to love one another with that sacrificial, self giving love that compelled Jesus to go to the cross. That's when we live that way, when we love each other deeply, we show the world that Jesus is real because they see the evidence within us. When we really love one another as a family, and let me say this I've been here almost a year, okay? It has been such a blessing to be a part of this church family. Such a blessing. You guys do a great job of being a family, of loving one another, of loving myself and my family. You guys do an awesome job. And so I encourage you, keep it up and do it more and more. As God continues to bring people in that haven't been here for even as long as I have, how do we love them and wrap them right into this family? Because the one thing that's different from this family to like, like, just my own family? Like, my own family grows as we have kids, but, it, but, but it's not like we're just grabbing new people to be in our family all the time. But, like, the church is not a closed-off family. Like, yeah, we're super tight, and, and we're this family, we love one another, but it takes you about 25 years to break through this. No, 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 Okay? How do we really, really intentionally be a family that is close and tight-knit and welcoming? And you know what? There's been other people that have come in this last year that have shared the exact same thing. This is a special place and a loving family. Good job. Keep it up. And do it even more and more. When we love one another deeply with that sacrificial love, we show the world that there's something different because that love doesn't have strings attached to it. And he says love one another deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. If we really want to be a, a family and know one another and love one another, guess what's going to happen? Anybody ever been hurt by their brother or sister or mother or father or son or daughter? Anybody? Often the people we love the most and are closest to us, we get hurt the most by them. And it's not because they're like evil and horrible, but it's because the love is so deep that that any hurt really stings. And how do you have a successful and loving family? You learn that that you need to love one another and forgive one another, that the love that God has given us covers over a multitude of sins. And it's the same for us here. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to, we will. I'll hurt you, okay? I don't want to, but I will. I'll do something dumb. I'll do something stupid because I'm a human. I will. Y'all will too. So Paul says, be kind, compassionate, tender-hearted. Remember that's that word for having, uh, having that splagnos of God, having that good compassion that moves you. Forgiving each other just like God did when Jesus died on the cross for you. Now, in a loving family and in a church-loving family, is there ever a time for uh, to call someone out for a way that they've sinned against you? Yes, there is. We see that in Matthew chapter 18. If someone has, has sinned against you, you go talk with them about it. You confront them about it in a loving way, right? Because... That passage about if somebody sins against you, you go and talk with them about it. It's in the context of the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? And if you don't know that story, this is what it is. A servant owed a king trillions of dollars in today's money. And the king says, time to pay up your debt. And the guy says, just give me more time and I'll pay it off. The guy will never, ever be able to pay it off. He'd have to work like 80,000 years to pay off that money. And the king has compassion and forgives him. Then that guy goes out and he sees somebody that owes him about $30,000 in today's money. Now, nobody's ever owed me $30,000, okay? I don't know if anybody ever will owe me $30,000. That's you know Sometimes we hear this story and people say it was a few bucks. It wasn't a few bucks. It was a third or half a year's wages. And this servant that just was forgiven like 80,000 years of wages, trillions of dollars, grabs this other guy by the throat, give me my $30,000, you owe me. Just give me time, I'll pay it back. Now, for most of us, over time, we would be able to pay back $30,000, right? You buy a house, you borrow way more money than that. Trillions of dollars, no. But that guy, no. Throws him in jail. And the king finds out, because the other servants see this, and the king brings him in. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you trillions of dollars, and you couldn't extend that same grace to this person that owed you $30,000? There is a time to lovingly confront. That's in there, Matthew chapter 18. 18. But it's from the viewpoint of I have been forgiven of so much. And when I come to confront, I come, to, I come as a sinner who needs grace, who has probably hurt you, and here's a way you've hurt me, and I want to be able to forgive you. And you know what? Like it says there in Proverbs chapter 19, a man's winsome gives him patience. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes in a family and sometimes in a church family, it's to your glory to simply go, I'm going to let love cover that and overlook it. And that doesn't mean you hold on to it. Means you let it go. The end of all things is near. Therefore be sober minded, be clear minded, have a sound, safe, redeemed mind so that you can pray above all else. Love one another deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then he says this offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That word for hospitality literally means the love of strangers, okay, and this was really important back in this day uh, because Christians, when they traveled around there wasn 't just like hotels or motels or things like that. there were some inns they weren 't necessarily the best place to stay at. so if you were traveling as a Christian or you 're traveling as a missionary, uh, you would want to stay at a christian 's house, so they would literally open their house to strangers, okay who they didn't know, but they knew they were Christians, and they, would, and they would do that. And he says, do that without grumbling, okay? Which is a really cool word in, in Greek, okay? When we preached about this about a year ago, uh, you may remember this, but it's gagogsimus. Okay, anybody remember that? Gagogsimus, gagog because it kind of sounds like what you would, how you would be if you were grumbling, okay? Like gagogsimus, dog and gagogsimus. He says, okay? So he says, offer the hospitality... The love of strangers, the, the welcoming people in without grumbling or complaining. And that word literally means the love of, of strangers, people that you know, people that you don't know. What, now, for us, what could hospitality look like? Because again, with the church as a family, I think Paul, uh, Peter here is describing what it looks like when the church walks together as a family. Uh, Henry Nouwen, uh, who is an author, and I believe he was a priest, wrote, wrote this about hospitality. He said, hospitality creates the space and carves out the time and affords the freedom for the stranger to be his own authentic self and become a friend. Sometimes we think of hospitality, we think of entertaining people, right? Like you've got to get the China, find China out, you've got to do this, everything's got to be there. Yes, if that's you and that's how you like to have people over, like good, awesome, do that, okay? But hospitality is an open space, an open time, and an open heart. It's helping people feel like home even when they're not home. We can practice hospitality here on Sunday mornings with one another and with any guests that come. How do we open up a space? Okay? Uh, That's why we've done some of the, the coffee and the desserts and things like that, to open a space for us to connect with each other and for us to connect with those that God brings in, with the guests that come. It's open time. You know, sometimes we can get out in fellowship time, and it's real easy for us just to go to our best friend that we haven't seen all week, right? Good, connect with them. Here's my challenge: before you connect with them, who can you connect to they don't know that well? To give time to that and an open heart. How do we move deeper into how life is really going on? How can we be praying for people? That's things that can happen out in that fellowship time that's next, and it's also things that can happen throughout the week. It's, we don't just come to church. Worship is not just an event we come to. We are the church. And that growing in hospitality, opening the space, time and our hearts, is something that we do as a part of the family here. So let's grow in that. Back to the passage. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's gift in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. If you were here when we preached on spiritual gifts, then you know that all Christians have a gift or a gift mix, empowered by God to serve, okay? What I love about Peter is he makes it real easy. He says there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts, okay? And for most of us here, we can probably think which one we fall into, okay? Do I have a speaking, teaching type gift or do I have a serving, ministering type gift or a mixture of the two? And so he says, look, you all have a gift. You have it to serve one another, to glorify God. And here's what I want you to know, he says. If you have a speaking gift, then know that God wants to use that to speak his words through you. And if you have a serving gift, it comes from God with the strength that He gives. The gifts come from Him. But what does this mean for us as a family, okay? Serving together is a great way to grow as a family. I had so much fun at the back-to-school bash here, okay? Just serving. We we had a lot of people here from the church out there, ready for the kids and families to come in and, and get the supplies and stuff. And it was so good to connect with the families that came and tell them about Awana and this and everything. It was also just really fun to serve together as a family. So when we find the different ways that we can serve together, that's a way we grow as a family. Like we do the service and we do the work. That's awesome. Another benefit is we grow together. So what does all this mean for us? Let's get to our so what's. Number one. I challenge you to ask for God's eyes and God's heart in this time. Okay, As we slowly or quickly get closer and closer to this end of history. God, I need your eyes. I need your heart. I want to live intentionally for this dash of a life you've given me. So ask for that. Let that be your daily prayer. God, help me to live intentionally for you today. Number two, may we purposely seek to grow as a family. And here's, here's two things. Learn names in the stories. For some people, they get names real easy. Okay, For some people, not. And that's okay. But who are, I know there's people here at the church that you, you may not even know their name just because you don't interact with them a lot because there's other people you interact with at church. So I challenge you. Learn people's names. And you know what? Get this. It's okay if you forget their name. I do it a lot. I'm like, I know your face, but I forget your name. I don't like doing that. Like, I like to wait and try to see if somebody else says their name, okay? (laughs) But there always comes a time where I'm like, I'm sorry, but I forget your name. I know you just told me ten minutes ago, okay? Like the photographer at the wedding the other day. I'm like, you just told me, but I forgot. It's okay. You can do that, okay? Everybody does it. Everybody does it. It's good for us to learn names and hear stories. And you're going to be closer with some people more than other people, and that's okay. But part of the way we grow as a family is we, we begin by learning names and stories. We can do that, I think. And you know what? You'll forget. That's okay. Just ask again. Because guess what? Most of the time, they go, what was your name again? I forgot. <laughs> so, and, and so you give them the freedom to be human when you're human first. All right. Love one another deeply and fervently. May we grow to forgive as Christ has forgiven, to practice hospitality, and to serve one another in love. And finally, I challenge you, find where you can step out and serve. This church is full of people that are serving in different ways with the gifts and talents and abilities that they have, the passions that they have. If you are not serving or if you want to take another step and serve in a new way and you're not sure what that looks like, please talk with me, okay? We can find a place. We probably have a need in a place that you are gifted to walk in that service in that ministry. And like I said earlier today, Awana is one of our needs that is quickly approaching in 10 days. My son is like, I can't believe Awana starts in 10 days. They're so excited about it. And to be a listener, where how Awana is set up, there's about 15 or 20 minutes where we, we, we want to have enough volunteers for one-on-one. Sometimes it's two kids and one adult to go over the verse that they're learning, that they will, will learn it, get it in their head and their heart to get to know their name and their stories and to share some of your stories, okay? To help this young man or young woman connect with someone who's been in the faith. It's a simple thing that almost anybody can do. It's a small thing. It's an hour, hour and a half a week. But it also has eternal ramifications of these kids that you pour into. And so I challenge you. Wednesdays, 6.30 to 8. Here, at the church starting at, on August 31st. We need more listeners. And maybe that's something that you can do. You're, you can't really be too young. You can't really be too old to do it, okay? To listen and to help kids. So pray about it. Talk to myself or Rich and Heather about it. And maybe that's not the way that God has gifted you to serve. That's okay. What other ways has he done it? Because we grow together more and more as a family as we serve together. Because the end is coming. And we have a job to do. We're going to be a loving, growing, going church, a beacon of light in this world. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll close with our final song. Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for the apostle Peter and the highs and lows of his life that we see that you use a broken messed up people who fail and falter and you put your spirit in them and you walk with them and you use them and so I thank you for that because I'm broken and I need you and we're broken and we need you. I thank you for the day that you will return and you will bring us to yourself for the day when God, your dwelling will be with humanity again and you will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no mourning or crying or sickness or death and we thank you for that God, will you help us to live faithful unto that day? Lord, if there is anyone here who has never put their faith in you to save them, I pray that you will reveal to them who you are in your bigness and holiness and justice and love and grace and who they are, their need for a Savior, that you will reveal to them how Jesus is that Savior that they need. And they don't have to jump through hoops to be saved. They can simply look and believe. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.